invite Suzanne to come up with me this morning. I needed her today. I need her every day. I need her every day. Um, and so we are going to look at a section of Scripture today. And when I went through it, I just realized I needed my better half's help. Um, and so I'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a little while. But we're going to look at a section of the Philippians today um, in the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Um, that on the surface could just seem like Paul was writing about some of his ministry companions. That's what it's going to kind of look at um, in Philippians 2. Kind of going to look at that. He writes about Timothy, um, who was his ministry protege. It was his son in the faith. He um, was raising Timothy up to be, to be like him. He trained him. He was his mentor in the faith. Uh, he wrote about Epaphroditus. And I was thinking this. I actually said, Suzanne, you I'm saying that name right, Epaphroditus? She said, yes. I thought, you know what? We have no idea. We're going to get to heaven, and it's Epaphroditus is going to go, are you kidding me? It's the way I've heard it my entire life. So, well, yeah, yeah, It could be of, wrong, yeah, but it's the only way I know it. It's the only way we know it. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, uh, we may get there. And he's going to go like, really? You butchered my name every time you said it in church. I don't know. But he was a man that we've, we've mentioned him a lot in our, in our look at Ephesians or at Philippians so far. He's the guy who for the Philippian church, remember the book of Philippians is Paul writing a thank you note to the Christians in Philippi because they had been ministry partners for years and they had given him, they were giving him financial support while he was in jail. And without the financial support, he would starve. And Epaphroditus is the one who crossed the miles, brought the money. He was the messenger. And we read in Philippians, he also, while he was there, got deathly ill. Maybe he got covid not sure. But he got deathly ill and almost died um, in, in doing his ministry that he was doing to bless the Apostle Paul. And so we could just gloss over this section and say, well, this was, you know, I'm really glad that Paul had some good buddies. I'm glad he had some friends. Um, and, and, and I think that's often what happens when you read the section of Philippians. But I think there's something really important revealed in this section that if, I think if we sit with the text, and that's what we did, we sat with the text. I said, just, I talked to Suzanne, I said, I just need you to, to mull this over with me. Um, as you sit with the text, I, I, think this, I think it says something to us that's really profound. And so I, I asked Suzanne to read it today. So just if you would read this large section, Philippians 2, 19 to 30. So if you grab your Bibles, turn on Philippians 2, 19 to 30. Okay. So starting verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. 
welcomed him and the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Thanks. What can't you do? You can sit up here and read. You can shoot read a deer. Worship. You can't shoot a deer. No. Or any can I tell animal. You, can I tell you a hunting story <laughs> that I had no intentions on saying? So when we got married, when we got married, Suzanne told go. me Suzanne told me that she'd hunt with me. And so she went through hunter safety even. She got her hunter safety certification. She'd go hunting with me. And then right away we had kids. And she's like, well, you got to make your choice. You want me to stay home with the kids? Or do you want me to go hunting with you? And I'm like, uh, you stay home with the kids so I can go hunting. And so that was not a hard one. But then as the kids began to grow, one time she went squirrel hunting with me. And I had a 22 rifle with a scope on it. And there's a squirrel right in the tree. And I gave her the gun. And I'm like, she could shoot. I said, it's right there. Shoot it. And she's just like, pow, 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 pow. And it runs away and it's gone. And I'm like, how could she be such a bad shot? I mean, it was like right there. How could you miss it? Then later she said, I got to tell you the truth. I missed it on purpose. <laughs> she said, I couldn't, I couldn't kill that beautiful I couldn't do girl. it. She said, I couldn't do it. No. So no. I, tried, I tried to please Mark by, by pretending I aimed at the squirrel. <laughs> but I'm like, I might as well just tell him now because I'm never going to shoot the squirrel. So, yeah. you know. So you always say that about everything. Like, how can you do that? So, so anyways, um, thank you. So you can do a lot, but you're not going to do that. So, um, moving on, welcome. You're welcome to be with us today. Um, I'm going to begin by giving you a framework for what we have here in this text. And then Suzanne and I want to discuss just two questions that rise out of it. And so I'm just going to kind of go through the thing first, and then we'll interact about these things. So here's the framework. In this text, as what Suzanne just read, Paul is contrasting two different types of people. Now, I don't think he set out to do that. I don't think he sat down and goes, okay, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to contrast two different kinds of people. But that's really what he does in this text. And, it's, and I think it's incredibly important what he, what he points out here. Um, the first people he points out, the first grouping of people he points out is one type of people. It's Paul himself, the writer, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And I would say this. These represent healthy, proper uh, Christian character. Each one reveals a particular character quality that we want to look at today that Paul, whether he intended it or not, is highlighting or holding up and saying this character quality is really important in Christians, or at least these people are leaders, these people are Christians I'm going to hold up as an example because they possess this certain quality, character quality. So let me read just a couple of verses, reread them, and you try to identify the quality that I'm talking about. So let's start in verse 28, first of all. This is going to talk about the Apostle Paul. So just pay attention to these. You're going to see a similarity. Therefore, I have sent him, it's Epaphroditus, all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may have less concern, I, might, I may be less concerned about you. Okay, that's Paul. Then look at verse 20. It's talking about Timothy. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Okay, and then look at verse 26, Epaphroditus. Because Epaphroditus was longing for you all and was distressed because he had heard that you had heard that he was sick. So did you see the similarities that exist in every one of them? They were all concerned with other people, even to the point of self-sacrifice. Paul had earlier said, 
in the, in the verse we looked at last week, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He said, I'm being spent for the benefit of other people. Paul is holding himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus up as examples of what, of what I think we can say are healthy, proper, Christ-like character people, that there's a quality of caring for others and thinking about others' needs that's really important um, as, we, as we become more like Jesus. And Paul was willing, we said this, to be poured out for other people. Look at verse 17 of, of chapter 2. It says, and this is before we started reading, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. So he's saying, even if I'm being used up, I rejoice. Timothy, he served Paul in the furtherance of the gospel. Anywhere, anything, he says, no one else is like him. He served me. Elsewhere, he says, he serves me like a, ch- a, fa- a child serves a father. And Epaphroditus, he became ill to the point of death in his ministry on behalf of the Philippian church for the benefit of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is pointing out their genuine concern for others as followers of Jesus, um, who, as followers of Jesus, who Jesus himself is the ultimate example of the one who is concerned for others. So you got that group of people? That's the one group. Now let's contrast it with the other group of people that Paul just identifies as they. Okay? So look at verse 21. Remember, he's talking here about Timothy, saying, I'm going to send him because, why? Because they, verse 21, they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. They all seek their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. He's comparing Timothy, and you could also say he's comparing himself, he's comparing Epaphroditus, to the they group here. So here's the question, who is the they? Because maybe our immediate response would be, well, he's talking about people who aren't Christians. But that's not at all what he's talking about here. These people of the they, that he's saying they really care about themselves and not other people, are people who must be from within the church. Because Paul is talking about who he would select to send to go do ministry. And it's obvious that there's no way Paul is taking someone off the street who's not part of the kingdom of God, who's not part of the church, and setting to do Christian ministry. So the they he's talking about are people who are obviously part of the family of God, part of the, of the local church. So they must be Christians that Paul says this about them. They seek their own interests and not the interests of Jesus. Now we have some insight from Philippians, and I know it was a few weeks back, but um, in chapter 1, I think it's the same group Paul was writing about in chapter 1, where he talked about how he preached from pure motives, but other people preach Christ, he says, from envy, looking to cause Paul distress. I think that's the they. So Paul is comparing these two types of people who call themselves Christians. They are part of the church. And he's obviously holding himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus up as positive examples, and that the they are negative examples of what we don't want to be like. Um, You know, we want to be like ones who love and care for others instead of like these who seem to love and care only for themselves. Now, that scenario brings up two questions, and it's why I had to call on my better half um, to, to, to mull through this. And it, br- it brings up these two questions that, that we want to explore together with you today. And these are the two questions that I think have to be answered. Number one, which group do you fall into? Which group do you fall into? Which group do I fall into? 
And how would I know? How would I know what group I'm in? I bet you the they didn't say they were in the group. Which group do you and I fall into? And how would I know? That's the first question. And then the second question is this. How then can any of us move in the right direction? Because we know this, none of us is complete. None of us would be perfect in any of these things. How could any of us move in the right directions towards loving others more, being more like Jesus in this character quality attribute of putting others ahead of ourselves? So I asked Susie to come and join me because I, as soon as I got to this and I was mulling it over, I said, I just want to talk it through with you because I thought you could help me, help me see it clearly. So let's start with the first question. Which character trait most describes me, you, and really how would I know? How can I know um, the honest truth about myself? Because here's my contention. Probably, as I read this, probably every one of us in the group, when I talked about two groups, automatically lumped ourselves in the group of, yeah, we're the ones who, who put others first. I think we probably all do. Um, I think we're really good at self-deception. I think we are all really good at it. There's a little phrase that I learned years ago, and it's really helpful for me. It says, we generally judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions, Mm -hmm. which means this. I intend to do good, so I give myself credit for doing good. I intend to help others, so I give my intentions, I give credit to myself. But I look at others for what they actually do and go, well, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They didn't do this. They didn't do their thing. And so we generally hold a higher opinion of ourselves than we do of others. And so as we read this, um, I, I want us to be honest. How do we know which, which, how, where we fall, which camp we fall into? So what do you think about that? And as I kind of mulled this over and, um, <clears throat> and we talked about it, I said I think, you know, the starting point has to be that unless, so if we call ourselves Christians and we are not in that that daily relationship with Jesus, then we're never going to know the real answer to that question. You know, because it's as we're in relationship with Jesus, as we're reading his word, you know, we can read this section and other sections, and we can be blinded by our own self-deception. But if we're in that relationship with Jesus that has a heart of openness, then that allows him to speak to us and to say, oh, Okay, so really, how are you? You know, oh, that stings a little bit when I read it. Why does that, why is that standing out to me? You know, the relationship has to be the, the first thing. Um, because anything else you do after that is just going to flow out of self-deception rather than the spiritual reality that, that is shown to us by the Spirit. So are you saying that we have to, um, that we cultivate, and I don't know what words you're involved, so I hear you saying we cultivate a soft heart. Mm-hmm. We cultivate an open heart as we build a, the, the routine in our life, live by a, by a sacred rhythm of being in the presence of the Lord regularly for the purpose of, of, be, of interacting with him, not just checking boxes, but right. for the purpose of interacting with him, of hearing his voice, that we're cultivating that so that our hearts, so that the relationship would be, we'd be soft enough mm-hmm. to hear, open enough to hear. Is that what you're saying? Right. You know, because as we're in relationship with the Lord, um, you know, part of, part of the relationship is, you know, reading 
the Bible, right? So if we, which is the main way, which is the main way he he talks to us, you know, it's his, his guide for our character and our integrity and our walk with him. And, you know, but so as a child of God, if we're cultivating this relationship, because there's a lot more to just than just reading the Bible, but if we just did this one point and understood that, then we would understand that, oh, I read that it's his kindness that leads me to repentance. And that we would not see that as a negative, but rather an invitation and as a gift from him. So, you know, when I'm reading the the Bible and, you know, something comes up about especially um, attitudes, you know, when I read it, if I find like there's this resistance in me or I like I read it and I just kind of like, that's like my key to say, okay, what are you inviting me to, Lord? (laughs) You know, like I can tell I'm resisting this and it's because I know that this situation is going on over here and I really want to be able to dwell in my anger about this situation when in reality, he's saying, nope, here's your invitation. Let me lead you to repentance in that area. And so it's a cultivation of, of knowing who God is as a whole and then having that awareness of how he speaks to you. So how do you, where, how do you think silence and, sol- silence and solitude play a part in that? I think it's huge. It's huge. I, um, I just made a change recently. Um, that in the mornings, I, I've been coming to the, pray here in the sanctuary. Um, and I told Mark, I said, it's because our current living, you know, situation in our house, it's not quiet in the morning, and I really need my, like, my quiet time. I like it to be in the morning. And so I want to get up and, you know, be where it's quiet. And so for a while, it kind of frustrated me. I was, like, irritated um, because other people in the house were talking. And I'm trying to have quiet time in just the other room, you know. So I'm like, you know what? I was kind of complaining to the Lord about it. And I'm like, you know what? There's other places you can go to pray. It doesn't have to be in the family room right there or in this room here or even upstairs in your bedroom. Like, I have a key to the church. I can come and pray anytime I want, you know. And that one change, you know, made a huge, a huge difference um, for me. But it's because it's because I'm... I'm not able to get the silence at the time that I need it in order to cultivate the relationship. So I think silence and solitude are huge. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. How many of you are like, yeah, when, I have, when I'm with the Lord, I just want some quiet so I can think and hear and process and, you know. Does that, what does that say about um, kind of a, a lot of people's process that when they're in silence and solitude, it's not really silence and solitude. It's all talking or it's listening to music, it's, there's still something else there. Does that, do you see a, a need that we really have to have a place where it's just, it's just quiet and still? So I'll say this from my personal experience. Um, I used to always, because obviously I love music, I love worship music, and I like it on in the house, I like it on in the car, I like, like I just like it. Um, but there came a time, I don't know how many years ago now, but I don't have music on much anymore because I realized that for me, I was able to just sing and it's a, it's a, it's a kind of worship for me, but it's not listening for me. And so I think the, there, it, there is an opportunity in silence that we don't get 
if we're always, you know, because worship music is great. You know, um, podcasts are great. I listen to podcasts, watching TV and, you know, having, um, you know, watching sermons and, you know, whatever on TV. That's, they're all great um, resources, but they're not a replacement for time with the Lord and listening for his voice. So you can sit and be very busy with Christian activity and Christian media and Christian stuff, but still, we can still deceive ourselves because we're never silent enough to listen. What I've always found is that if you're never still, if you can't st- if you can't sit still and be silent, it's generally because you don't want to be alone with yourself with the Lord because you're uncomfortable with what might like, come up. So you always have to fill it. So people run constantly and they have noise constantly because when you're alone and in silence and solitude, you actually might just hear what the Lord is saying, and that's threatening. It's, it's actually a gift, but we're afraid of it sometimes because our narratives are wrong about God. Right, and that's what I was going to say, you know, our, because our narrative is somehow, you know, there's a fear that comes in saying, oh, I'm just going to be alone with, with the Lord, and he might discipline me. When, first of all, perfect love casts out all fear. So if you understand that he loves you perfectly, and, you know, he loves you in your weakness. He loves you in your, your sin. The thing is, he wants to restore you and bring you into that right relationship. And so it's this huge gift. And so, you know, if you, if you find yourself in that, then the question, you know, just to even begin with is, you know, like, what is my narrative about who God is? And, you know, do I see him as the, the judge who's waiting to, you know, with the gavel and, you know, say you're guilty and now you're going to pay? And, you know, because that's not God's heart. That's never God's heart. God's heart is love and transformation and redemption. And it doesn't mean that there's not discipline. The discipline is part of his love for us. The same way we discipline our children or our grand... Well, I don't discipline my grandchild, but they discipline my grandchild. <laughs> we do I got to stop myself for a minute. So, yeah, the way we have to discipline our children, um, you know, it's the same. It's God's heart toward us, you know. And so it's a huge gift and opportunity um, in reality, you know, because we, you know, if if we go back to the topic at hand, if we're looking at what describes me, am I one who has the servant's heart or am I the one who's selfishly motivated, you know, the Lord is always going to lead us into being a servant. And that doesn't mean that being a servant is always, always going a hundred percent of the time, because God didn't, because Jesus here on earth didn't go a hundred percent of the time. He got away and met with his Father, you know. So he's never going to lead you into that life of saying, "Oh, I have no time to spend with Jesus." It would never be his heart for us. And so it's finding the balance so that we can be the servant that he's asking us to be, because it's going to be way more effective. Whatever we do is going to be so much more effective for eternity than if we're just going, 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 and we're exhausted. So we start with, um, how do, this question was, how do I know who I am? How do I know which person I'm really like? So we start with having to learn to cultivate a relationship where we honestly can actually hear from the Lord and build some of those things into our life. Um, the next thing we talked about, and this is a scary one, um, it's ask someone you trust. So we started off with asking the Lord. Then we ask someone we trust. Um, how scary is that? Well, it's really scary. And I, I was, we were talking about this this week. And um, 
we've talked about this, I, I believe, before. I know in our Good and Beautiful God class we have, but um, there's a, a concept of having praying a prayer of indifference. And when we got to this point, that's the first thing that came to my mind, that when we, when we go before the Lord with this question, we really need to come before him with this prayer of indifference that says, Lord, like, I know what I want to hear. I know right now I want to hear, like, you are awesome and you are killing it and, like, this is reaping eternal rewards and you're just serving everybody and you have the right attitude behind it and the right motivation. Like, that's, that's what I want to hear. But I need to be in a place where I understand, okay, Lord, I don't have a will right now in what you're saying to me because I want the truth. The truth is more important than me feeling good at this moment. And so praying that prayer of indifference, you know, that just says, Lord, help me to see myself as you see me. And show me what it is that needs to change so that I can grow in this area. Is a, is, it's a hard starting point, but I think it's the best starting point. So it feels like you went back to the other point. But are you saying that we should actually pray that prayer of indifference before we ask somebody Before else? we ask somebody. Um, because, so that, here's, because otherwise we're going to get offended and, and, That's, I'm sorry, I didn't go on to the finish my thought, so thank you. Um, no, we, no, we never do that. Um, but yes, because then the next step is, because we cannot hear what somebody else is saying to us with the right heart if we're, if we're not in that place of indifference, of saying, even if it hurts, I want to hear it, Lord. And so, and I think one of the keys, because we've done this with people personally, as in, like our, in our parenting and our marriage situation, we have gone to couples and, give, and asked them questions about ourselves. What do you see about us? And we've always made this promise up front. We promise that if you say something that you think might hurt our feelings, we promise that we will not take offense and that we will never allow it to cause a problem between us. So if you're going to ask somebody to speak into your life, you need to give them the assurance up front that you're not going to, um, that you're not going to then hold it against them. Yep. So we start with asking the Lord, then we ask somebody else we trust. I think it's a really important point. It's, it's scary because somebody else we trust might just say, you're as selfish as the day is long. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, no. And they'll give you 16 examples where you put yourself first and didn't, and didn't put other people first in the last one week because they've been paying attention, because it bothers them. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's, you know, it's, it's, it's scary to do that, because they just might tell you what you don't want to hear, and you're saying, no, I want to have a heart that's indifferent, that even if you tell me what hurts, I want what's best for me. And so we, we ask, start with asking the Lord, silence and solitude, we start with indifference. With Can I add something to that? Just a little side, side note about if you're the person who's asked to give feedback to somebody, then... Just take some time to pray before you say something. Because in our humanness, we can bring up the 16 things, right? Um, so somebody texted me actually a while ago now saying, you know, this is something that was brought up as a suggestion, and so I want to ask you, will you 
speak into my life. And I replied to him and I said, yes, I will, but give me some time to pray about it. You know, because as the one speaking into, you want to make sure you have God's heart. You, because you may not see God's perspective in it. And it's going to be a lot more um, meaningful and impacting if the words are coming from God's heart to that person through you. You know, and the other part is if you're going to point negative things out, then be part of the solution and say, how can I walk alongside you? Yes, that's, that's a good point. Um, because some of you may be asked by your partner or somebody else, so which camp do I fall into? And uh, so we, don't be, we should be um, lovingly cautious, but also lovingly bold. And say, for the sake of everybody else, you know, helps help to help somebody else. So we ask, we ask the Lord. We start with the Lord. We ask um, some. We ask a trusted friend or a spouse, somebody else. But I think there's another thing we should do um, before we move on to the next question because we're kind of running out of time time here. And that, that's this. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves about our own worldview. Um, and what do I mean by that? And I think if you can imagine this in your life for all of us, and all of us, if you imagine there's a center circle in your life, and you got to ask yourself, who's in the center circle? There's a center circle, and then there's other little small circles that orbit it. And I'll, and I'll, I'll put the, the wrong way first, um, which I think is Paul's referring to the, to the they's. What would be in the center circle is me, that I'm in the center, I'm the center of my universe. And then the, the orbiting circles around it are all these other relationships and issues and situations in my life. So Jesus is an orbiting circle. And my wife is an orbiting circle, and my kids are an orbiting circle, and my grandkids are an orbiting circle, and my coworkers are an orbiting circle, and my friends and my neighbors and, and uh, my, my church family is an orbiting circle. And, but really, I'm in the center of the universe. Um, and that's a way to approach life. That's, that's a worldview. I'm in the center, just orb, everybody orbits around me. The other way to look at it is in the center circle is Jesus. And that everybody else orbits, everybody else and everything else orbits around. Because it does a couple of things that you might not think about. Number one, it, it, when, when it puts, I'm out in the orbiting circle and my spouse is in the orbiting circle and, and my kids and everything else, it does a couple of things. Number one, it places God in the place of supremacy in my life. Okay? So, he's, so I want, his, his ways are my ways. They're the way I want. I want to be like him, which means I'm open for transformation and I'm looking to be different. different. But the other thing it does is it places the other circles on par with the other circles. So it doesn't place me above my spouse. It doesn't place me above my kids. It doesn't place me above you. It puts us all orbiting the person of Jesus Christ. So it takes me from me being the most important um, to Jesus being the most important, and it puts me then on par with the other people who are in my, in my world. And so then it's easier for me to serve everybody else. It's easier for me to put other people as, to serve them, to, to, to consider them more important so I can be a, a Timothy who serves Paul. I can, I can be a, 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 a Paphroditus um, who risks his life for his church family for the benefit of somebody who brought the gospel to him because he sees not that he's in the center, Jesus is in the center, and he sees all of these other orbiting people as equally valuable. You know? And so I think it puts us in right perspective. So our narratives that we believe just in how our life is structured um, does that. So, so what do we do to see how we are? How are we honest with ourselves? We look at our worldview. How do we see the world? Who's really in the center? We ask the Lord, which requires 
um, creating an environment where we can hear, which requires silence and solitude, um, uh, interaction with his word, listening more than hearing, listening more than filling noise, and um, we ask a trusted friend. You know, I think those are some really good ways that we can figure out where we're really at. So, so that's where we're at. So quickly, kind of, let's talk about, so we figure out where we're at. How can we go in the right direction then? If we recognize that we're, um, that we're really not, maybe we do recognize that we're really in the center. What do we do? How do we go in the right direction? Well, it's one, one step at a time, right? And so, and I think you have to be careful not to, um, because what we're looking for is tr- internal transformation. It's spiritual transformation into the image of God. So we can put all of our human effort into, um, you know, trying to serve. You know, you can wake up every day and make a list and say, okay, well, today I'm going to make this person a meal, and that, that next week I'm going to go and clean somebody's house, and on this day I'm going to call somebody, you know, so you can, you can do that, which, um, you know, when, you, when you're a, a brand-new Christian, checking the boxes isn't a bad thing. To, to train yourself on how to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not bad to say, well, okay, today I want to read my Bible as a way to, to, um, na- uh, to structure, 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 you, right, you. structure, you know, but there comes a point as you grow in Christ that you don't need the boxes anymore because then it becomes part of who you are. And I think it's the same thing in serving is, you know, as we evaluate, okay, so where am I at in serving other people? And if, if I find that I'm lacking in that, even, you know, not even all the way to selfishness, just self-centeredness, but I'm just a little off, then, you know, I, again, the relationship part of listening for the voice of the Lord to say, okay, what are you asking me to do? What things are going on in my life right now that provide me opportunities to serve others and take my eyes off of myself? You know, give me your eyes to see where where you're asking me to serve because that's going to be a much more internal transformation than just making the you know the making the boxes to check off so i think that's a, a good place to start but you might have to start you know if you find you're a very um i'll just say very inward focused person um you might need to check a box and say okay what, what am I going to do this week? Like, let me just, I want to just have a goal. <laughs> what am I going to do this week to serve somebody? You know, until it becomes your second nature. So, so actually. Creating a structure. Create a structure, but look at your life and say, where do I mm-hmm. see this where I put others first? Right. And, and, and maybe to, to get going in that way, actually create structure so that it, it causes you to move in that way so it becomes who you are. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that we have to do is I think we need to recognize how our culture has formed us. And the best way I can say this is, and it's kind of tied to the idea of the circles, but our culture has taught us this, and I have a better way to say that than this. It has taught us to put me over we. That me over we. And I, I was actually going to write it up, you know, borders, no those circles, and those, but the word me align under we. And I think that's how our world has taught us to think. That every day of your life since the day you've been born, the culture around you has taught you the value of putting me over we. And I think what we have to recognize, the starting point to move in the right direction, is simply recognize the truth that that's what we've been taught to, that's how we've been taught to think. 
that that's how our, our relation, that what we've been, been taught about relationships um, is, is that's our cultural way of seeing the world, me over we. And so we have to understand that, that that's normal for us. So how do, we, how do we change it? Well, we understand that we're in the kingdom of God now. And we want to operate by kingdom culture as, a, as, as opposed to our culture. And we need to challenge that and we need to say in the kingdom, how does God see? Does he see me over we? No, God sees this. And I think this is the thing that can really help us move in the way of serving, of, of being that person with the right heart, is that um, we recognize that God has determined how valuable people are. And there's a way of saying, you know, if, you, if you've got an old car, and I want to say to Ray, hey, Ray, what's this old car worth? And Because um, to me, it's only worth, uh, you know, 200 bucks. But Ray goes, hey, I know a guy in Hartford that is looking for the exact car, and he'll pay $20,000 for that car. What determines the value of the car is what somebody's willing to pay for it. To me, it's not worth anything. But what somebody's willing to pay for it determines its value. Well, humanity's value has been determined by what's paid for humanity. That Jesus gave his life, not just for me, but for all of us. Regardless of what political party we're in, regardless of our views on coronavirus, regardless of the color of our skin, God has put the same value, the same value on each person. Infinitely, eternally precious in his eyes. And when I understand that, then I can't function in me over we. I, I have to function in me and we, we're all in this thing together. And so I can't only be a person who puts others' needs ahead of my own and sees the need for that when I understand that it's not me over we. And that the value of every other human, for every person in this room, your value is not determined by what job you have, not determined by if you own a business, it's not determined by um, you know, how much money is in your bank account or how good you can do something. Your value is determined when God said, I made you in my image, and then Jesus, God himself, came and died for each of us. And that determined your value and the value of the person, of every other person in this room and every other person on the planet. And when we get that, we understand that we're on a level playing field. Now, I can move in the direction of saying, oh, I understand then, their needs are important. My needs don't triumph or trump their needs. So I am going to be led towards helping because I recognize the infinite value of every single human being on the planet. And what a difference, you know, just that one concept right there would make in our world if as Christians, when we, you know, go to work and we have, you know, coworkers who or, or family members or whoever it might be that really feel like their value is based on what they do, with how much money they have, with where they were born. And we begin to live out lives as servants and live more in the we culture and, and speak truth to them and live truth to them and allow that to begin changing their lives as, they, as we lead them toward Jesus. I mean, it's, it could be revolutionary 
you know, and we understand it doesn't happen overnight and it's one person at a time, but God's calling us to, to reach people. And, and part of the way we do it is by living exactly what you talked about, the, the serving one another and understanding it is a we. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. God loves us all the same. Exactly. So two types of people in the church, Paul says. Those who seek their own interests primarily and those who genuinely are concerned with others. And Paul's holding up this himself and Epaphroditus and, and Timothy as, hey, this is, this, these are the kinds of guys that, that are being formed properly in Christ. And wouldn't our families and our churches and our communities just be such better places if we all just in, in recognize the infinite value of one another and that led us to serving one another? That's what we see in this text. So let's stand together this morning. Thank you, Suzanne, for helping me this morning process this and, and explain it to our church. And obviously I did that because I see that that's how you live it out. And, um, and that's how we all grow. We grow from, grow from one another. So let's pray together. Father, um, this is something that's just really real and practical to us. Lord, to look at our ourselves and to say, what most defines me? Would the Apostle Paul say about me, about you, that you know what, I'm sending him to you because he genuinely cares about you? Or would he look at me and say, well, Mark's one of they, the one who really just puts his own needs above everybody else's. Lord, there's a reason why you had the Apostle Paul pen these words. And it's so that we could live the best life possible. That you could use his words to influence us so that we could live in a way that mirrors Jesus and blesses the world. And so, Lord, here's my prayer for our church family today. Would you help us, Lord? Help us as we take something from this and we take some time to honestly sit with ourselves and maybe invite somebody else into into the process. Help us to see ourselves where we're really at today. And then, Lord, help us to embrace that, know that you love us in whatever condition we're in, but that you're inviting us to growth. You're inviting us to become more like you. And Lord, we would pray that you would in our hearts, in the depths of our souls, you would show us how we can begin to move in a way that values everybody around us. Because then we'll reflect you. Lord, I pray for your goodness and your grace in the lives of every single person in this place. Let us go now as your loving servants into this world and shine your love through our service so that people are amazed by you in us. So thank you for this incredible church family. Bless them all, we pray in Jesus' name.
Let me just share one more thing with you and then I'll open it up. And if you would like prayer this morning, I'll gladly slap a mask back on and pray for you. But let me just share this as we close. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on right now with the coronavirus and it's it, the numbers are swelling in Wisconsin and people have all kinds of different opinions on what that means and how we should handle it. Um, what we're doing as a church, because we're a small enough group, we're small enough, we're a family, we're doing our best just to manage it, to to um, pay attention. We had somebody come this morning, was sick, and we asked him to go home. We're like, hey, you're sick, you need to go home. Uh, we have four ladies that I know right now that have COVID, and one who has been very, very ill. We've been praying for, for Linda Kolbach. She's been she's very ill. and But she's turning the corner. She just let us know. We prayed Wednesday night. By Thursday morning, she said, I'm actually feeling a little better. Um, and so... We want to just be sensible in this whole thing. And so what we're trying to do is just manage it. What it means is we're going to do our best to follow the guidelines that the health department's given us. We're going to do our best with that, and we're going to pay attention. And as all, if we have a spike that hits our church, then we'll just say, hey, for a week or two, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to close down and go online. Our goal is not to close. We don't want to do that. If people, when they feel ill, will stay home, we won't have to do it because we're in a large gathering. We have to be conscious of the health department's regulations for us. And so, um, so what we're trying to do is just manage it. And as of right now, you know, hopefully not one person in here is, is ill and we don't have to do something. If I get a call Tuesday morning from six of you who say, oh, by the way, Pastor Mark just found out I had COVID, guess what? We'll probably close church next Sunday. We're not planning on doing that, but we're going to, we're, we're, we got a good enough handle on who we are as a church family that we really think we can, that we can manage it. We don't have to just take a drastic measure and just shut everything down. So that's our hope. If things all spike in our church family, well, then we'll have to do that. But we're hoping that doesn't happen. We're praying that doesn't happen. And so be healthy. Try to keep yourself safe so that we can all keep coming together and worshiping. Because isn't that what you want to do? Amen? Amen. I had two different people come to my office this week, literally, come to my office and say, Pastor, please don't close down church. I need this. And I said, well, we're going to do everything we can to not have to do that. So if we all work together on this, hopefully we can just keep managing it and we get through this and the thing works its way out in however many months and we forget, we close, the, we do this. Who wants to do this? Just close the stinking chapter of, that, of this book right now. Not this book, the book of 2020. You know, just close the chapter and move on to, uh, to, to better things. So we love you. Pray for God's best in your life. If you want prayer this morning, I'll be available here. Otherwise, God bless you. Um, have a great day. Take some time, please. Take some time to think about what Paul was saying here. For your sake, for the sake of the kingdom, and just say, what's worth my heart? And how, God, how can I take a step in the, in the direction towards being a person who serves the world? Amen? I love you. Have a great day in Jesus.